Hello and welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and Happy New Year. We're here for the first episode of 2022, episode 275, and the return of Northwestern State University in Louisiana, percussion professor and assistant band director, Oliver Molina. I'm happy to be back home after some well-needed travel time and time off. My wife and I both commented recently Then she and I were traveling essentially nonstop starting at the beginning of finals week, and we're thrilled to have a little bit of downtime together prior to the start of spring semester, which is a couple weeks away. I'm thrilled to have a little bit of time before our semester begins, but I'm definitely thinking about my high school listeners and those folks who have already begun. Best wishes to you all. And let's get right to Oliver Molina. I've known Oliver for quite a while at this point, likely meeting at a national conference on percussion pedagogy many years ago. It's always great to check back in with him over time, as he's become a great pedagogue and performer. And we first talked to him on this show in 2017. Go back and check and listen to that episode again, and the links to that are in the show notes. As you'll get to hear about, Oliver has been very active in his time since we last spoke. He's still at Northwestern State in Louisiana and doing wonderful things there. He finally finished his doctorate and has gotten further on the scene by having a chamber group from his studio win the percussion chamber competition at PASIC in 2019. Of course, we're talking to him now because his percussion ensemble presented the New Music Literature Session at PASIC this past November. So we'll get to hear a lot about how that went and how it was going, and the challenges of putting that session together. From my end, as a member of the audience that day, it was an excellent performance and presentation, including the use of the video features to present the composers who are presenting their music. It was really well done all around. Additionally, I got to see Oliver again recently as he was one of the few percussionists to present at the Midwest Band Clinic in Chicago in mid-December. He did a session on sight reading for mallet instruments and managed to have audience participation, feedback, and a good bit of fun in 30 minutes. It was impressive to get that much information in as he did and for it to be useful. So congrats all around to him. One last personal note, Oliver is a big fan of this podcast. I just want to note that here because I greatly appreciate his appreciation of the show, and I think some of that will come through in this interview. But enough preamble, let's get to it. We recorded this interview over Zoom on November 3rd, 2021, and it begins right now. So, Oliver, tell me about what you and your group will be presenting and when they'll be presenting it at PASIC this year. The Northwestern State University Percussion Ensemble is presenting the New Literature Showcase Concert. Actually, it's a 90-minute session, um, so it's a lot of music, and I'll talk more about that in detail later on. Um, but it's we select pieces that were um, published or composed within the last five years, um, and we highlight those pieces for Percussion Ensemble. Um, we were actually selected to do this in 2020, 
But then as we all know, um, COVID didn't make made sure that PASIC was not in person. I'm glad we are doing it this year. And so um, I'm not sure, I think, think every piece is still within the five years of 2021, but I think I, when we were researching pieces, I looked at pieces from 2015 up to 2021. So I guess like five and a half years uh, for that window. And so it's, it's been quite the semester getting ready uh, for all of this. And I'm going to be glad after, at 5.30, well, no, maybe like 6.30 after the students put all the instruments away. Um, I'm be glad when it, all of it is over. Remind me again of what the charge of this particular session, because, yeah, it's it's longer. It's usually a little different. Different programs have done different things with it. Mm-hmm. So what's kind of what was the charge of the of this type, this specific um, program? Yeah, so it's mainly new music within the last five years. Um, they do have some sort of guidance toward making sure that there's a nice collection of difficulty levels um so there'll be there'll be like a middle school percussion instructor there there'll be a college professor there watching the repertoire and so something that um, was told to me um, and not in a mean way but to make sure to clarify that this session is not an ipec concert not one of the um big um like winners of that, of that. The, the way they select this is not the same process as to do for those where it's like anonymous and people just listening to recordings. Um, this is more so an application, just like any other session, whether you're doing a clinic or a master class or whatever, where it's mainly based on the merits of the presenter and what the ensemble has done. So that was kind of nice because uh, I guess the thing that led into this um, performance or this application was in 2019, um, right before I applied for this for the 2020 PASIC, is that um, we went up to uh, PASIC and, and every, I think for the last six or seven years, they had this concert chamber competition. And I told my students like, Hey, let's finally, like, there's no football game this weekend. Um, and let's, let's go ahead and uh, I'll rent a vehicle for us. Cause some of the students um, drove themselves later on because we wanted to get there a little early. I'll rent a vehicle. Let's load up all the equipment and go up there. Um, and we made it a thing that we were actually going to do. Um, and so we did that in 2019 and long story short, I told my students, as long as we don't get last place, we'll be good. And it ended up happening that as they were announcing the different, um, they only announced the top three at the award ceremony. They said the third group, and I was like, oh, I'm sitting next to my students, like, that's not us. Like, it's all right. And now it's second place. It was actually a tie for a second. I'm like, oh, that's neither of us. I'm like, that's fine. All right. Then I like, thought, like, oh, at least, I don't know the stats yet, but hopefully we didn't get last place. And then the next thing you know, they announced Northwestern State University that we won and we freaked out and it was, it was like crazy. Like I I had no idea. Like we, we prepped and I prepped them pretty hard, but I had no idea that it was going to happen because I saw some of the other groups play that same day. And I was like, we're going against, I remember um, the university of Texas at Austin brought a group and they were playing this really drummy piece and it was just awesome and fast and like just all like fireworks going off, not literal fireworks, but it was just amazing. Yeah. Um, and later on I found out is that there were, I think, I don't know for sure the numbers, but there was a quartet and all of them were graduate students Four, uh, three of them were maybe doctoral students. And one was a master's student. I was like, we beat those guys. I'm like, we're a bunch of undergrads. I'm like, Oh my gosh, like this, this is just crazy. Yeah. And so that's why I didn't think we would make it at all. But then I guess um, their hard work definitely paid off and they performed the crap out of it. So it was good. Yeah. Uh, anyways, that led into, sorry, I kind of went 
No, no, that was a great story. I want to, yeah. uh, That led into me applying for the session for 2020. um, And I think that helped them uh, merit us for um, this session. Um, Again, now kind of going back to your first question, it is supposed to be um, just about, is 90 minute session, they recommend 70 to 75 minutes of music, which is still a lot of music. Um, And then we ended up doing uh, it was 17 pieces, and then we cut it down to 16, which is still a lot um, because uh, logistically, um, I went through like we've actually done this concert three times already in prep, um, and looking at the timings between each piece, um, me being like OCD about everything being perfect, sure. is that our timings is still around. It was like 36 minutes at the first concert for logistics in between pieces, and now we finally got it down to 25. Um, but that happened because we cut a piece as well. And so, um, again, a wide range of pieces. Um, we were starting off with a, I guess, more ancient rudimental drumming type thing on rope drums that uh, our other percussion teacher, Ken Green, is all about. And um, that was actually written for the old guard um, back in the 80s. And so this is where it gets kind of confusing because uh, the piece isn't published um, yet, but now it will be published this year and it'll be readily available. So that still meets within that five-year window. And then we are actually have four premieres, uh, for this concert. I commissioned, uh, four composers. One of them, you know, actually I'm trying to think at least two of them you've had on your podcast before. So I, um, Joe, you already mentioned him already. So I got him to write us a piece and he wrote a cool piece for us, um, for, uh, pitch percussion and like um, a drum, drummy percussion stuff and some found sounds and whatnot. Andrea Vinay, I believe, was on your podcast before too. Um, and she wrote us a mallet quartet. That's actually, Joe's piece is great, but I think I like her piece a little bit more. I don't know if you'll listen to this, but um, it, her piece is just great. And I'm hoping to play it someday with Joe and some of our other colleagues. A friend of mine that I met at a new music festival that we have here in Louisiana, um, Tao Lee wrote us a piece for uh, tri- uh, percussion trio and electronics. And then the last piece, it was uh, Francisco Perez, who's over at Lamar, which I, th- I think you've had him as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, he wrote us a piece uh, more, uh, I guess, on the middle school, early high school side for, I think, eight players. Yeah. Which um, um, is re- really cool piece and just fun as well. And so uh, just trying to find different pieces that would fit this program. Um, and then the other, I guess, the last, last thing which I think was a good um, application point for when I uh, submitted the application was something that I wanted to do was make sure that I highlighted underrepresented composers. Um, So the last um, new literature session that happened in 2019, um, looking at the composer list, and actually this kind of came to my thought because Adam Mm -hmm. um, Groh, he made a post right after PASIC saying um, about the lack of a diversity at PASIC um, when it comes to programming or the presenters or whatnot. Um, and so part of my application was we're going to play like we, we can play this concert, but then also we'll make sure that we represent other underrepresented areas. And so uh, for even the ones I just mentioned, so Joe, um, Dr. Vinay or Andrea, um, Tao Li is a Chinese composer. And then Francisco is a, a Mexican-American composer and all of that. And then there's a, a bunch of other composers on there out of the 16 uh, that have hopefully a better sample of what um, actually somebody posted on this on Instagram yesterday is that um, the Diversity Alliance posted 
uh, I guess a collage of the different composers that are on part of our program. And somebody commented on there, this looks like a snapshot of America. And so it was a little bit nice to see um, different people on the program. It, it, you were you were kind of answering one of the other questions, which was, it's kind of, there's an encouragement to commission, because like that's part of since obviously that would be five, you know, within the, the time frame. Is there, did they, have they given a limit on that? Or is it just that if you're going to commission it, like, let's like, maybe one of these is, is specified for, like you said, like a younger ensemble or sure. something like that, or are, are any of those parameters in there? Or are they just kind of self-imposed in this case? More so self-imposed. So I guess I should have mentioned this earlier is that they also want to make sure uh, it shows a wide range of difficulty levels for the different types of ensembles, but then also represent the different types of companies that are out there. And so um, something that I wanted to do, it was hard to balance that, like the difficulty levels, um, the representation of composers, but then also the publishers or uh, different composers who self-published as well. So that was definitely hard to get a nice mix of all that. But for the four that I commissioned, I wanted for sure because those are all, all four of them are underrepresented compared to other areas. And I wanted to commission them specifically for this. I did ask them for like, I know Francisco's piece. I told him like, Hey, maybe write it for an easier ensemble. Um, I told them Dave Hall's um, archipelagos piece. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of think about that um, style, which like that piece is sounds harder than it is, but it's pretty much like an eighth grade level, like junior high level type of piece, but the way he crafts it, it's just, it's just really uh, well-written. And so he did that for his piece. There isn't necessarily any, com- like you don't have to do any commissions at all. Um, I just wanted to make sure I added some because looking at all the pieces that the publishers do have, it was hard to find a better representation of those types of composers. And I get it in terms of what what's the, kind of the starting point of your focus. And so if your starting point is I want to, I want to represent you know, I would show this representation then. Yeah. That I like, I could kind of see you're like, all right, I'm going to take care of that. Here's, here's a way I can take care of that and like actually get us new literature. Right. You know, that, that we've kind of showcased. Um, so that, that's great because you're doing, I, you said 16 pieces. Yeah. Um, so are you playing all of them fully or are you just, are some of them um, highlights or like a segment of, yeah. So three of them are only excerpts or a segment of it um, because I think the total length for those three um, each is around like eight or nine minutes. And so in order to, again, this is why there's 16 pieces is ordered to make sure um, the difficulty levels, the, com- the composers, uh, represent, underrepresented composers and the publishers kind of have a better, um, I guess, mix of all of that. That's why there are so many. Um, it it would have been cool to do all of the pieces like fully, um, but then those uh, three, especially that are excerpted are just a little too long. And that means there would have been another composer or publisher um, not being able to be played for our concert. The, is the design of the concert in, in a, such a way that you're gonna talk about some of these pieces or are you going to, is a plan to just kind of, you're playing through, here's some program notes, here's kind of like the, you know, like an annotation essentially of, of what's happening. What, how are you styling that part? Like when I thought about this, I thought it was a good idea to do all of it. And then now I'm in the thick of it. I'm like, this is so much work. Um, so anyways, there, there are program notes. Um, like yeah. the composers yeah. all sent me their program notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's great. Um, and that program is hopefully going to be sent to the printer today. 
um, like fingers crossed, because there's some edits that still need to be made. Um, but something else that I also did, I solicited each composer to make an intro video. So while we're doing logistics on stage, um, hopefully, and I need to confirm with PAS that we're still able to show a video, is that the, um, like the Andrea Vinay will show up on the screen and she'll talk about her piece while they're not watching us move on the stage frantically yeah. um, to move. Um, and that's something we're going to do this Sunday night. It's just practical logistics. I'm going to show the video while it's going on. And each video is about 40, 45 seconds to a minute. Yeah. And if they can't move all their stuff within a minute, we're going to do it again um, because with that time crunch. But um, that's just something I thought would be cool. Like everyone's kind of doing that now already with all the COVID stuff people were doing a bunch of Zoom meetings like mm. we're kind of doing now yeah. or, or Zoom master classes. And I thought, like, why not have the composers themselves um, introduce their own piece? No, that's a good idea. It's with percussion. It's like it's too bad that it, that like now. I mean, it's great now, but it also you just think of all the years where you just heard like pipe down, so we don't have to hear you talk about. It's like where is the suspended symbol? <laughs> <laughs> the smaller one, <laughs> you know, like people like yelled, yell, whispering across right. the stage and. I really hope it's a good distraction with yeah. the composers talking and not paying attention to what we're doing. What I'm hoping that it's not going to happen is that um, like a student knocks over a symbol, like crash. I'm like, Oh, well, let's still look over there. Um, like, nothing, nothing to see here. Nothing to see here at all. Yeah. Um, something that also that I, again, this is me trying to do, I guess too much is that um, I also added uh, like background music for each composer. Mm. But I thought it would have been weird to put the piece that we're about to play um, as the background music. Like you sure. hear it and then you're going to hear it again. Yeah, and yeah. so hopefully um, what I've done is found other percussion ensemble pieces that the composers wrote and put on there. And as the people are listening to it, um, they're like, oh, what, what's that piece that I kind of heard? And then they'll hopefully realize that's the same composer wrote that piece and then be more interested in their music and then look them up and um, play, program their music someday. That's yeah, it's a good thing. You don't want to put the um the Benny Hill <laughs> Yeah, that that one sax on there as as your Maybe I should have that on cue ready to go. When that symbol drops, I'll, <laughs> I'll play and then they'll just do some little dance and run away. <laughs> <laughs> when you were creating the program, did you are you culling from like twenty-five pieces? What was the uh, did, or did it end up that you built up and realized like, okay, this is the limit of time that we can try to get everything in? It's uh, a great question. It started with the whole idea of the different composers that I was trying to look up. Sure. Um, there are great resources out now from like looking at female composers, LGBTQ plus composers, black composers um, and whatnot. And so I kind of went from there and with the help of my grad students, they found the pieces that were written within those five years limit. And then from there, I kind of helped, I'll help choose and then also went to the publishers and whatnot. And so it's kind of started from what pieces um, do you, did I think fits that composer representation, but then also what can my students play? Sure. Um, because uh, they're not going to play any weird avant-garde stuff or like graphic score notation, which is cool, but um, I don't know if people are really going to buy into that um, at that type of concert with that type of personnel work trying to find the next piece that they want to play for their, for their program. Um, but then um, it was kind of figuring out the math, like this piece, but then figuring out the, the time length um, to make sure it all fits. Um, it was nervous wracking because when I had the 17 pieces initially, it was like at 76 minutes. 
And I was thinking if we spent one minute for transition between pieces, we're already over 90 minutes. Like this isn't going to work. Yeah. And so um, the logistics side like gives me nightmares. I think I woke up the other night thinking like, how, what am, how am I going to fix this? Like, how is it going to work out? Yeah. Um, but definitely just trying to, like I said earlier, um, composers, publishers, and then difficulty level um, were a good way to kind of, and hopefully um, um, whoever goes to the concert can see that there's a nice um, broad spectrum of different things that are represented. Now, what about equipment? Did you, did you look into that in terms of stuff you were bringing stuff that might be there you could use in terms of limiting or whittling down what you're playing? Uh, so I wish I had thought about that beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> it was more so like, Hey, um, we generally have all these instruments and I had planned. All right, so in 2011, um, it's actually kind of cool. Um, that 10 years later, I'm bringing my students because in 2011, when I was at the university of Iowa, we performed the same concert. Yeah. Um, and so 10 years later, I remember, or I guess 10 years earlier, I remember we brought everything that we need for the concert we didn't borrow anything. And it was just just easier that way. Um, this time around, um, I just, we could have brought all our stuff. Um, but, uh, since I have some great sponsors, especially with Yamaha, um, and some other companies, um, they were able to help provide some of the instruments. And so I think keyboard wise, all we really need to bring is the five octave marimba. Um, and it's, it's nice because they're already are bringing us some stuff. I know there's some logistic things that they have to do because the concert chamber competitions at the same time and whatnot. Oh, never mind. I remember we have to bring two glockenspiels and a five octave marimba and then a bunch of drums and other smaller stuff that will fit easier. Um, but I wish I had thought about that piece beforehand. Um, and then also the program order so that sure. uh, I have to move through the, all the instruments. Um, but I think it was more purely on the music side first, as opposed to instruments and logistics and whatnot. Is it, has it been a, a struggle to, to figure out, a you know, a program order that fits your ability to move from piece to piece while maybe also considering what might be a good opener and closer. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't, I don't know if you can tell, but um, like not on the screen, but I've definitely got more gray hair just from this semester or may have been from this COVID year in general. Sure. Yeah. Um, but like I got a haircut today and I can see all my gray hair a little bit more now, which is like, ah, it's, it's the stress of this uh, basic performance in particular, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was interesting trying to make sure it all kind of flowed. Um, it could have just been like when I first initially put the program list um, in order, it could have been just whatever. But I think it flows pretty nice. We start with that rudimental piece that I mentioned is nice and loud and drummy. And then we go to more of a bigger percussion orchestra uh, piece. And then from there, there are pretty much three main stations on stage, the main uh, keyboard area in the center middle. And then there are like smaller quartets or uh, ensemble, chamber ensembles on either side. And so logistically it is working out, um, but it's again, still giving me nightmares and stuff like that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, you know, what, one of the things that I'm, I'm curious about is that I, I always, I always know that like, this is a, this is kind of a, tends to be a fascinating, one of the more varied concerts that we typically have because of, of you know, the nature of what, what people are selecting and how they're thinking about it, but also that there's just so much music. Mm-hmm. And and I think a lot of times it, I, I would bet for some, some people who are watching, who are considering programming, because this is a lot is about per, what, you, what kinds of stuff you program. You know, they, there's a lot of times when, when you hear something 
And and I'm sure I'm wondering if you've had this uh, encounter yourself in the audience where you you're they're playing a bunch of stuff and you're just like no, like, eh maybe you know you're you're making these judgments on the kind of like right off the bat right. It's it's def- definitely hard because there's just so much out there that you could choose. Sure. And I think a lot of these programs are just a reflection of the the, the directors and like kind of what they're into as well. Um, and then especially, I think the, no, nothing that on the program, maybe one piece is a little bit more challenging and out there um, for the students because they're not used to that contemporary side as yeah. much. Um, but definitely uh, it's, I think all of them are enjoying the music and uh, if hopefully um, whoever comes to it, I know if you're able to come to it, yeah. um, whatever, because I know a lot of people come in and out and I, I, I've done that before. It's kind of one of those things like, hey, what's on the program? Uh, I'll watch this for a little bit. That's awesome. Like I know that, that composer, um, but then hopefully people can find the pieces later on that they don't see and can s- still program it. Uh, I guess something else that I wanted to mention, because we were talking about the time length of it being 90 minutes and all the stress that goes along with it yeah. is um, in 2011, when we did, it was a 90 minute concert. And then for a period of time, I don't know how many years it was. Cause I went to those basics as well. Yeah. It, it, they trimmed it down to a 60 minute concert which sounds amazing because that's more manageable, but then I don't know when they put, they bumped it back up to 90 minutes. And so um, again, 90 minutes is just is, with no intermission at all either. It's just 90 minutes straight of just playing the entire time. Yeah. Well, I guess because it's a literature session, you want to, I mean this, like I think of this when I've gone to band master stuff and, and they'll, they'll just try to like, you know, there's like way more literature that comes out for band, I think, than comes out for percussion. But it's the kind of thing where you're just like, we just want to like get to some every like some part of all of these, right? You know, and, and so it's a lot of just like, here's two minutes, cool. You get, you kind of got the sense, <laughs> like, you know. So I, I feel like it, it's a good for, you know, for I, I think of it from the audience perspective that it's good to just try to get that it's better to have more stuff on this one. Sure. Um, even though, but as you said, way more stressful for you. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's also fun in a way. Yeah. Because like I, I enjoy the logistics side of it and making sure it works, but mm. I had no idea how hard it was going to be with that long of a program with 16 pieces and whatnot. Yeah. So it, it, it was fun, but not fun. <laughs> <laughs> it has been um, a good challenge for my students. Um, so something that was interesting is with COVID and everything else like that, the students that I have now are just from two years ago when we, one basic are different. Like numbers are just lower in general. I don't know if you're seeing that in Missouri as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the marching band isn't as big. Uh, the drum line for sure, um, which I uh, d- deal directly with is a lot smaller than usual. Um, but talent-wise, which was not a great thing. So when I mentioned the 2019, um, we won the, when we won the concert chamber competition, um, there were five students that participated in that. In 2020, if we were to have performed at PASIC, all five of them would have been back for that. This year, since now two years after they won that, only two of them out of the five are left. Um, one graduated uh, one is still here, but now is going to biology and medicine. So he's not really doing music as much. Um, one's going to student teaching. Actually, two are going to student teaching. 
and aren't involved anymore. And one, the other one that's still here is stayed for his master's. Mm-hmm. And so it's really only like one student who's really here from that. And so the students that were here and then some other students also around that time went on to graduate school. And so it was kind of a rebuilding year with a basic performance um, looming. And so it definitely had its challenges, but they definitely have stepped up. I'm looking forward to, again, that 5.30, 6.30 when we're all done and don't have to worry about it. And they they go do whatever college students do at PSIC. I don't know what they do because I don't want to know. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then we're, we're just good after that. Yeah. They, they invite you and you're like, I think, I think we're good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go hang out with the adults. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oliver, I, you had been on about three and a half years ago or so. Tell me a little bit about what's been going on at Northwestern State. Um, obviously, you can kind of wheel in the pandemic portion of that, but also some of anything that that with your job that's kind of adjusted, changed, moved around, stuff like that. My main role, production teacher, but then also as, as a band director, because mm-hmm. same role, same role like you. Um, and so that hasn't changed. Um, I've just added more things on my plate for some reason. I don't know why I like being so busy. Um, but in 2019 slash 20, um, I actually started the steel band here. I was able to get a grant um, that I was, I think I was around close to $68,000 or something like that. Nice. And with that, I was able to get, I think, seven leads, two double tenors, four double seconds, three cellos, and two uh, six bass sets. Mm. Um, and then a full, not a full engine room, but a drum set, timbales, congas, bongos, and whatnot. Um, and all the... Um, cases and hardware that went with it. And so that was a fun thing because I had steel bands in my undergrad, master's and um, graduate um, doctoral degrees. And also when I taught high school for a little bit, um, it was nice having a steel band. And then when I came here, there was no steel band. And so part of me felt kind of empty because I was used to having that ensemble because it was just so much fun. Yeah. Um, but then I was finally able to apply um, when the, I think it's like two year, three year cycle for the arts that happens in Louisiana. Um, and then I, I was actually able to get it. And something that's like a quick uh, side note to that, um, a, a friend of ours, uh, Dr. Brad Meyer, was one of the people reviewing um, that gave his recommendation for me to get the um, steel band um, grant. And so oh, nice. like, it's good to know people yeah. um, who support the arts and like you just know. And he's like, he recommended us getting this grant. And I went up to the hires up and hires up people and I got the grant. Um, that started, we started the steel band in January of 2020, like just two months right before the world shut down. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was great because there was so many students, there were so many students that were interested in it. I had pretty much, um, a full band with almost every single instrument filled up. And then I had a second band with maybe half the size full of like non-music majors and just like drumline kids and whatnot. Um, and then that happened. And then since then, like we started back in the fall of 2020 in person, but with masks and social distancing and whatnot, um, nobody necessarily wanted to do it anymore. I kind of mm. lost that, um, I guess that desire or that um, people weren't as interested in it as much. Um, but since then, I think I've tried to recruit a little bit harder. We actually had a concert last Friday um, in our downtown area and like an open uh, stage space right next to our riverbank. Um, and the ba- the band's actually back up to six leads, one double tenor, three double seconds, three cellos, and one bass. And then the engine room along with that. 
And so the, the problem is, is that all, most of those people are non-percussion majors. Um, some of them are music and majors, which are, which is fine. Um, but it's hard to, I'm, I'm still going to try to push the ensemble. Um, but we play like easy, cheesy pop tunes and stuff sure. just to get them more interested in it. Um, kind of to guess what their appetite with what steel band can be. And then yeah. hopefully next semester, my plan is in the spring semester, um, actually have two steel bands going along. Like I had that first semester before everything shut down one, that'll be a little bit more advanced, mainly percussion majors. And then anyone in the university uh, can possibly take this other class that hopefully my grad students will teach. So I don't have to be here late every night and all of that. Um, so that's a big thing. You have like a family and stuff too, right? Yes. Yes. And that's another big thing which uh, I guess since you already segued into it a little bit is that um, I guess my son is now two, a little over two and a half. So um, 2019 in general. Oh, well, this is another thing we could talk about. It was like the best year ever. I remember making a blog post about it. <laughs> One of like five that I've done since my website started in like 2012 um, because I don't write on there very often. Um, but 2019 was awesome. We won the concert chamber competition. Um, uh, what other thing? Um, you got the grant. Got the big, I got, got the grants. Yeah. Um, I guess my son, my, my son was born. And then the other big thing, well, I'll come back to my son because he's important and like, like great is that I also finally finished my doctorate. And so, um, it's, I finally got used to my students call me Dr. Molina. It was weird for a time. I'm like, who are you talking to me? Like, is that, that me doctor? Like, oh yeah, it is me now. Like, and so it's been, I guess, two and a half years almost, um, since then. So I'm, I'm used to it now. Um, but those are, I guess since the last time we talked in 2018, those are some huge things that happened, especially in the year um, 2019. Um, my son is two and a, two and a half years old. Um, it was a huge adjustment um, going between um, not having a kid to having a kid and now needing to be at home more often and do all of that. Um, something that I think what I've learned to do does it help that this semester is a little anomaly because of PASIC sure. is that um, I sometimes just go home at the end of the day and I can't think about work because when I'm with my son or with my family, I have to be paying attention to what they're doing. I can't, I can obviously still think about it, but I'm purposely trying not to do any work, try not to answer any emails or like a people's text message or whatever. And it, it has helped a little bit um, my stress because during that time, that's uh, what I focus on. But earlier on, when my son was a little bit younger, um, he would go to bed earlier. And then I would frantically try to catch up like, oh, I need to answer this email now and do everything. So um, that didn't help. Um, but especially that semester of COVID of, of spring 2020, my son was still pretty young. And that was, I think, um, the worst stress level with, with, with things going on because learning how to do things online because I've never really taught things online versus in person. Yeah. Uh, what I figured to do, my main class at that time were on our were lessons ensembles. We pretty much just like you get an A, like it was fine. We already had a concert for concert band. Yeah. Um, we kind of canned our percussion ensemble concert and steel band stuff because we couldn't do it anymore. And so what I figured out to do is I can't do um, not in per or live. What's, what's the term that we, we used all the time? Um, synchronous, yeah, synchronous lessons. Yeah. Um, because my son, my wife still worked and my wife's a nurse. And so, especially with COVID, she needed to be at the hospital doing all those things. Yeah. Um, I had to watch my son all day while she worked 12 hour shifts 
And the time I was actually able to do work was when my uh, son went to bed at like 10 o'clock and I stayed up watching students' lessons and giving them just feedback while I recorded a video of me watching their lesson material. Instead of typing a bunch of things, that was the best way I could find like, hey, so it can happen a little bit faster, just like a live lesson. Um, And then I had to spend so much time um, like actually doing the thing, but it was late at night. Um, And that was really tough from like watching them all day and then still not having to work until like one or two in the morning watching all those lesson videos. Um, So that was stressful, but definitely the cool, a cool part is that my son now knows words a little bit more Mm -hmm. and he can kind of hold sticks and hit drums. Um, I have a, I have a Yamaha five octave at my house, which was a part, another cool thing in 2019, my parents got it for me for graduation. Um, and so I was able to get that, but he plays it more than me because when I come home, I just, I'm like worn out, but he says, let's play the marimba. And so I play marimba sometimes and he plays on the drum set next to it and just hits it. And it's lots of fun. Um, but that's just a huge game changer. Just having all the extra responsibility that I didn't have before, but it's, it's so rewarding and so much fun. It's great. Um, so that's a, that's a huge thing that's changed since the last time we really talked. <laughs> yeah. And your son gets, you know, grabs the mallets and he's like, okay, Merlin second movement. And then like, keep up basically. Right. The, the weird part is, so we bought him this um, kind of, it's more like a kitchen stand chair thing. So that yeah. would like they make, make it so that kids can help in the kitchen or, or whatnot. Mm. Um, but that's kind of been relegated to the marimba. And for some reason, I don't know why, but he really enjoys the low octave. Like anytime I put sure. that little ladder chair thing yeah. on the higher end, he says, no, dad, I move it. I'm like, okay. And so I have to give him the softest mallets possible. He still wax it pretty hard. I'm like, whoa, no, no, no. <laughs> Those are the thinnest bars. Like, don't do that. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's just funny, like just seeing his, because seeing me do the things that I do and him just wanting to do it all as well, even though he has no idea what he's doing, but yeah. Um, you will someday, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, the cool thing is, I mean, when they're that age, personalities are starting to form. So, like, sure. you know, they're becoming human beings <laughs> slowly, but yeah. it's happening. For sure. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, just uh, I had this idea or I was going to make this post last night. Yeah. Um, I was on the other side of the house um, doing something or putting something away for him. And then next thing I know, he yells from across the house, dad, which is like, wait, who are you talking to? Like, you don't, dad is like for older kids. Like you are still only two and a half. Like it's either dada or daddy. Like, don't say dad because I'm not ready for that yet. And it's just crazy because now he can like say short sentences, like four or five word sentences. I'm still working on the counting thing, but he, we're able to actually have conversations more or less. And he's able to let me know what he wants. Like daddy play marimba. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go play marimba or or whatever. And so it is great. The personality thing is great. And the, like, it's the best part at the end of the long day, whether it's at like end of a football game or just when I come home, he's just so excited to see me. Yeah. Um, And he's like running up to me. My wife opens the door um, if she's home before me um, and lets him run out, which makes me nervous because um, like there's a there's streets. I mean, the street, there's a, there's cars and there are dogs. So run out like, no, 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 go back inside. But he just runs up to me and oh, to awesome. corral the dogs back in and everything. Yeah. It is great. It's a nice, it's a very cool or very fun stage of his development right now. Yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. 
Daddy, play Marimba de Amor. <laughs> you know, just uh, just yelling out all like, the I, all the hard I, stuff. <laughs> like I didn't warm up yet, son. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome. You know, when you were telling me about the kind of the stuff you've accomplished, you know, particularly with the grant, you know, when I was, uh, I mean, that is quite a haul for um, steel band equipment. I, that was my first thought. Was like. I was like, you got a grant that I was, when you said the amount, I was like, I was like, that's like a, that's a band. <laughs> like, that's not, a, <laughs> that's not like a steel chamber, steel drum chamber ensemble. You, you, you got the full deal. That's awesome. Yes. Yes. And no, I had actually planned my original grant proposal had fewer pans in it, mm-hmm. but higher quality pans. Sure. Um, but the company that I um, was getting the quotes from and w- had worked with before and actually my own personal pan. Yeah. is from Alan, Alan Coyle down in Pensacola. Mm-hmm. There's that um, the pans that he was going to make for us would have taken him a ridiculous amount of time from scratch. Sure. And so uh, we just got, um, I guess, not, I guess not, I guess lower quality pans from mm-hmm. Trinidad. Like he had them shipped over and then he just makes sure that they sound good. But then we were able to get more pans out of it. And so it is good. Hopefully we'll get more interest and there'll be more students in the ensemble. Um, but it originally was supposed to be like four leads, um, one double tenor, two double seconds, two cellos and a bass. Yeah. Um, but then we doubled that size because we got um, less expensive pans. Yeah. Remind me again what the band responsibilities are. All right. So in the fall, it's mainly just marching band drumline uh, yeah. for that. And in the spring, I conduct one of the concert bands. Um, before I had some other music education responsibilities where I had to go supervise um, student teachers and whatnot. Um, but then they hired more music education faculty, so I don't do that anymore. But on the band side, that's the main thing I do. Um, the last year, um, so we had three. We have three band directors, and one of them uh, was kind of a menu compromise. He wasn't able to be right. Yes, yes. He was careful not to be inside, and so I was able to um, run the pep band a little bit. Mm. I split it with the other band director. Um, it was more so like I just went to the games and supervised because the drum majors or the other um, band leadership took care of it. Um, yeah. But it was fun being in that environment because I had never really done that side of it any, uh, before. Oh, okay. Um, because I never realized how good our students were at heckling the other band. I mean, the other band, the other basketball team. Yeah, yeah. It was, oh, yeah. It was ridiculous. And like they have little signs and have like a Justin Bieber cutout meme thing. I'm like, what? Oh, like, no, it was like his mugshot picture. Um, from when he got arrested how many years ago, like yeah. holds up while they're doing free throws and other stuff. I'm like, this is crazy. Like, like they need to simmer down and we're going to get in trouble, but it, it's all in good fun. They, they know their limits and whatnot. And if they were to get in trouble, that's why I'm like me or the other band director would be there. But it was definitely a different experience, um, especially from football where it's like kind of go, 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 like uh, play is dead play. It's like, call, like basketball is so easy. You sit there. Like, oh, oh, next thing's come up. Like, we got five minutes to figure it out right. and then play. And it, it, it was a fun experience, but not fun because that was also um, the same time after my son was born. So I had to spend more nights away from home and whatnot. But it was a, it definitely a fun experience. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's cool. Well, it's good. It's good you're still doing all that, I think. I mean, unless you're just getting tired of it and ready to move on. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. And no. I, I d- definitely enjoy... Um, cause the marching band side, because I feel 
there's a better connection to the students. Most of the percussion majors stay in it. Yeah. And also scholarships are tied with um, involvement with the band. Mm-hmm. And so I can kind of grow that rapport and that relationship with them a little bit more. If I was just a studio teacher, I think I'll be a little bit harder. Yeah. Um, and then concert band, it's, it's always hard for me because every, we only do in this, I only do it in the spring semester because we will have only one concert band in the fall mm-hmm. and then all four of them in the spring semester. So I always have to spend like a couple of weeks figuring out how to do this again. Yeah. Um, it's like right, a score study with like this type of score with all the instruments and like, listening for this and I have to remember my warm-up process like how do we like which way which way we're going to tune this day and all this other stuff it just takes a little bit more time for me but I do definitely enjoy that because again most of the people in that band are in the marching band so I get to know those students a little bit more um, and do all of that yeah that's one of the reasons that I I like doing kind of the same thing is is more interactions with with some of the band students in or some of the students that you that are either majors or or they're not but they're they just tend to be really good and really motivated students mm-hmm. um no matter what their major and so they're that's part of like kind of the fun working with those that group particularly for sure yeah uh, I do need not now that we were talking about I do need to find repertoire for next semester for the concert bands yeah yeah right because that's coming up <laughs> But right. I'll add it to my already my post paycheck to do right. list. Right. Yeah. Yes. Was, <laughs> are you and you are you still one of the um, the committee chairs for PAS? Yes. Yeah. I'm leave this and by the end of this year is the end of my second year as the education committee chair, um, and so that's definitely been hard this semester because again all of my um, thoughts and like nightmares all go to PASIC um, about their uh, our showcase concert yeah. um but definitely there are a lot of good people that i think there's 26 people on the committee and i think it's the largest committee um aside from the diversity alliance but that's not not necessarily a committee committee um but there's definitely a lot of stuff going on with that um we were trying to do different things um and start new subcommittees and uh, making sure that we're a good resource for music educators out there especially the non-percussionist music educator um, I guess one thing that I did start was a, it's a little over a year ago is um, I don't know if you've seen the PAS classroom, um, which is just pretty much like one minute videos on like short tips that hopefully as people are scrolling through Facebook or YouTube or whatever, um, we're, we're not on TikTok yet. So hopefully that'll come down um, from the PAS office, but just saying like, Hey, if you want to play your snare drum rolls better, um, which I think Emily Tanner Patterson, which I know has been on the podcast a few times with you, yeah. um, has a video that talks about buzz rolls that should be coming out probably after pacing. And so just videos that are um, just really short. And I guess the idea was like initially Instagram videos were only a minute in length. They've um, since then lengthened it. But how can people watch something in that short amount of time yeah. while keeping their focus and not like scrolling through it so quickly that they don't learn anything? And so that's something that's been going on for a little over a year. And that's been a fun project. Also, I've gotten really good at video editing because of that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's, it's been fun. Yeah. That's a definitely useful skill. The ed committee is the intention to make articles for progressive notes and rhythm scene. Is it to kind of create, like to figure out what to do about 
um, basic stuff. Like what's the, what do you, what do you, I mean, you're doing this new, the new video project, which is awesome, but like, what are the other kind of responsibilities that that committee is kind of tends to? Okay. Yeah. And so, um, I guess for all committees, we actually had a committee chairs, a chair meeting last night with all of the mm. different PS committees. And so they reminded us of some of the stuff that all committees should be doing. Yeah. Uh, one of it is, um, articles, like, like you mentioned, um, something that I require for my committee is, um, each year they have to write at least one article. And since we have the uh, press notes, we also have the rhythm scene blog, but then also through our committee, we have the educators companion, which again is, directed mainly for the non-professionals educator, um, but more just articles just for that. And so within a three-year term, um, mm. committee members should be writing an article for each of those. Um, so that's important. Um, we also help judge the basic applications um, each year that are more, um, I guess, the categories education, which is, I think is one of the larger categories as well, because technically you could call any basic clinic an education clinic. Sure. Um, but I think there's specific uh, parameters to make sure that we don't get all of them. And there's like, obviously the keyboard ones are more keyboard, but if it's more, I guess, middle school or high school or more fundamental base, we'll get those as well. I think in 2015, we started that with the marching committee is that we wanted to add a more interactive um, part of PASIC where people can come up and play down the rudiments. Um, or two years ago in 2019, we added keyboard sight reading um, and also drum set styles. And those are the same three, three offerings that we're having this year. So you play down the rudiments for like Jeff Queen or um, you know, I think in 2019, you can sight read for Tom Burt. Um, and then I uh, forgot his name. Um, but then like you play drum set styles with uh, Rich Redmond or something like that. Yeah. And it's just kind of cool because there's just people who serve on these committees who are great master educators and you can learn from them for like five to 10 minutes and then you can go on and earn a free deck of playing cards because you help participate in it or just participate in it and so it's just something else that um, as you're walking along at PASIC go to these sessions but then you can also interact more on an individual basis so that's a big thing that's coming up next week we actually actually emailed um, our subcommittee chair Dave Stark about it today so looking forward to seeing that keep going yeah no that's that's a great addition to to the events uh within the the stuff that you i guess you saw or interacted with in terms of presentations for PASIC, what kind of stuff is i don't know sponsored or uh had, was highly recommended uh by the committee for for, for PASIC presentations within 2018 i think i, I believe it was 2018 I think PAS changed the way they do panel discussions. Um, they kind of opened the floor to anybody submitting panel discussions. Mm. Um, in the past, it had been um, each committee kind of had their own panel discussion and they kind of got uh, grandfathered in or they were able to get chosen. Um, yeah. But then in 2018, I think, or 2017, one of those a few years ago, um, they opened it up to anyone. And so um, there were, it was been a few years since the education committee actually had a panel discussion. Yeah. And so uh, we actually, I recorded this on Monday night um, at 9, 9 p.m. till mm-hmm. like 10.30 p.m. because that's when everyone was free. Yeah. But um, as part of the virtual offerings for PASIC this year, um, ours, our, virtual, um, our panel discussion is virtual this year. And the, I think the, the title of it is Finding a Balance, uh, How to Incorporate Marching, Concert, Drum Set, World Percussion into Your Classroom. 
And so that will be, I think, I think it's on Friday afternoon when they're going to premiere it online. Um, I don't I think maybe two o'clock. I don't remember exactly. Um, but all of those virtual basic um, sessions are going to be premiered on that Friday. But that was nice talking to those guys. Um, it was Ken and Wiley over at Marcus High School. Um, uh, John Wooden, who teaches at Southern Miss. Uh, Mandy Quinn, who teaches at East Central Community College. I think that's something that's generic. I, I don't remember exactly. In Mississippi, um, Chris Dandelis, who teaches at Wasambi, uh, Wabonzi, Wabonzi uh, Valley High School in Illinois, uh, Stephen London at DeKalb High School, I think, in the um, Illinois area, and then Pablo Rieppi, I think this is how you pronounce the last name, which is just now in Oberlin. All of them shared their thoughts about um, how they incorporate all these different areas of percussion so that their students have the best experience. I, I was like, I pulled up the uh, the random ask questions list, so I, I was like, all right, we can, we're going we're gonna to kind of throw a few of these at you to, to close out. Sure thing. All right. So um, I'm trying to think of things that we didn't ask you. Well, here's one. What is your, because this one's relatively new, what's your karaoke go-to song? Oh, gosh. So the first thing that popped in my head, because it's like a meme or a video that I saw, yeah. um, is tequila. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Which is not really a karaoke. Okay. Yeah, I, I, know. I, saw, I remember seeing a video of somebody doing it. And like the whole song goes on with like the horns or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And all the guy pulls up the microphone and says tequila. And then the rest of the song goes on. That's the whole song. Um, I don't know if I have a karaoke song because I, I really am not a fan of singing. I remember taking like sight singing or oral skills. I'm like, <laughs> nope, nope. Oh, or no, um, class or class voice. Yeah, yeah. That was the worst because we had to sing in front of the class for our final. Mm. And that like that, oh, I hated that. <laughs> um, but since then I have gotten better at singing. Um, yeah. I do it in front of my students all the time. They're all percussionists. So they, we all know the, we all suffer from not, the ability not to sing very well. Um, but yeah. a quick side note, since you mentioned karaoke, I don't know if you know about Filipinos in general. So I'm Filipino. Uh -huh. It's, I don't know what's with Filipinos, but they love karaoke. I don't know why. The reason I mainly bring that up is because my dad, loves karaoke and so in the 90s it was always embarrassing bringing friends over to the house because um he had stacks of laser discs uh, uh -huh. do you remember what those are oh um, yeah yeah uh, and you plug in the microphone and blare it as loud as possible um singing um like just like frank sinatra classics and all these old songs that are like johnny be good i'm like, well, like <laughs> one of my friends and some of my friends were like hip, like, oh, like they were silly and they would want to do it too. But Filipinos in general, it, it's a thing. I don't know if you Google karaoke in Philippines or Filipino, like you'll probably like your um, results will be ridiculous. Um, but I did not get that bug because I'd rather hit things with yeah. stick mouth or play with my hands than sing. Um, uh -huh. So I don't have one because maybe I was scarred when I was a young kid. <laughs> You're, it's like you bring friends over and your dad would have the whole system set up and, and they're like, do you know, you, and the, like the friend might not be sure if, if like he can enter more of the house, maybe unless they did a, <laughs> they did a performance. I'm not uh, sure. It, oh, my gosh. It was like every time like there was a party, Christmas party. I remember like even now, if he were if he were to go home to yeah. visit. Um, he would play like the Christmas laser disc one. Oh yeah, and of course. Like it's obviously it's Christmassy and like Christmas Carol, so that kind yeah. of 
flows a little bit more, but just randomly throughout the summer or whatever, I'm like, no, I, I don't want to sing right now. Like, no, no, thank you. <laughs> oh, oh, that's hilarious. We, we do have um, one of our, our close friend and one of the, um, one of the folks in the music department, he, he does have, he is Filipino and he does have the karaoke system. And we actually like, we actually want him to bring, like, it's, it's become a, um, a fun item for, for our, for kind of the get togethers is to pull that out, you know, particularly late in the evening when, uh, there's less alcohol around cause it's been consumed we'll that way. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And it's a, it's a fun time. We, 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 we all enjoy it. So it's what's what's cool though is that you can um he's got the system where you can set the key like that you can actually put it oh, in, yeah. in, in a singable key uh-huh. so that's that's um that's a blast but oh yeah so that's good stuff <laughs> is there a movie or tv show that you could you either quote a lot or you could just or particularly if it's a movie like if it's on you could pretty much say line after line after line just no problem I know you asked this question of, of me when I first was on here about yeah. like a good movie and a bad, yeah, yeah, yeah. my mo- favorite movie of all time is still that thing you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I could say lines from that. Like if we were, if we were on, I could probably just say lines along with it or say it right before it happens because yeah, yeah, like, sure. I'm, I'm like, uh, I'm like a, pro- a prophet or I can, whatever. I know what's going to come up next. Uh-huh. Um, but something that's, I guess a show that recently that I've watched a lot of, and it can kind of say some things because when you have a kid, you watch the same shows over and over again. Sure, yeah. Um, but the show Bluey, I don't know if you're aware of this show. It's on Disney Plus mm. or on Disney Junior, and now it's on Disney Plus too, but we watch it on Disney Plus all the time. It's like, I don't know. It may be like my, the best television show ever. That, that, that's a tall order. Right, sure. But like, it's a kid's show, but it's not a kid's show. Because if you're a parent, you can definitely relate to the parents that are on there uh, and understand what's going on. Um, but that's one of those things that, because um, I've watched it so many, there's only two seasons, two seasons right now available on Disney Plus. And I think I've seen each season maybe like 15 times or something like that. Right, of course. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Like it just keeps playing over and over again. Um, but that show is like the dad on it, especially. Um, is one of those dads that shouldn't it's like not a real character because not all dads are like that. Like sure. It's kind of more of inspiration. Like I want to be like bandit. That's the name of the dad. Uh-huh. Like he's like, I don't know if I'll ever, I'll ever, I'll ever be able to live up to his character because he's just such a great dad and all that stuff. So, but it's just a really, really good show. And I, again, I can probably quote some things on there. Yeah. Way too much. But yeah. That's, no, that uh, it's uh, I, I, I'm you're not the first parent who's who's mentioned a kid show is just like I was like I know everything because yeah yeah it's on all the time it's yeah. on all the time I there's a I always think of um one of the cool things is is um we my nephews were playing were playing a show called Gumball or Amazing Adventures of Gumball which it's on like Nickelodeon or something. And uh, and you could tell that the people and I've talked about this before. You could tell that the people who write the show definitely watched like The Office and Thirty Rock because like the sense of humor and the the way they were cutting in between scenes. You're like, I was like, I'm, I've seen that before, <laughs> but it was for a kid show, and it just and it was it was like, oh, all right, you could you could still the parents will still have something for sure, yeah, 
to draw them in too. What is a favorite book? A book that I read recently that kind of changed a lot of things for me and I enjoyed actually, I finally put it back on my shelf. Uh, I put it out on my desk in my office or on the coffee table um, so my students can see it and then hopefully they'll be interested in like talking like, what is this book? Um, But Atomic Habits by James Clear um, Mm. is, it's just so, it's, it's kind of, uh, for lack of better terms, kind of life-changing the way you kind of can do things for the better. Um, some of the stuff I've tried to apply within the professional studio here with how we approach lessons and practicing and whatnot. Um, but it's more so about figuring out how your processes um, make sure that you get the habits that you want or get rid of other habits or systems that you have in place um, or the stuff that you want to do or don't want to do. Um, that's one that I read this summer. Um, and I, I don't know, I kind of refer to it all the time with my students now because it's so good. Is there, can you give us a one item that of, of specific note from it? Something that he talked about a lot, it was just consistency. And so if you're trying to develop a habit, uh, make sure you're doing it um, on a regular basis. And the way I'm doing it with my students now is that they have, well, part of it, when you get the book, you can download some content from his website. Um, they have a habit tracker. Um, mm. So if like, for example, um, the one that I'm doing with my students now is that they have to practice um, during the month of November right now, it's like they have to practice for at least 30 minutes a day and then they just cross it off. And then the idea is that as they cross things off, they're supposed to keep that going. And hopefully they stay motivated when they see how many boxes they've crossed off for each day that they don't want to break the cycle. Um, oh, yeah. and if they do break the cycle, hopefully there's only one day in between never ever go two days without going or completing that habit or doing that over again. Um, that's one thing that i trying to do with my students now. Yeah, that's good. That they can physically see, you know, the X's, right? Like, is that kind of the point? Like yeah. you can, you can call that done. You're like, Oh yeah. Also nice that it's in a place where all the students can see it. And so hopefully it gets a little bit competitive. Um, it hasn't, some students are doing it. Some are kind of blank and it's kind of makes them sad, Oh, um, but hopefully they'll, uh, get inspired by the other students that are practicing a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, that's great. And we'll just jump to the, my last question about one piece of art. I guess there's a song that I've been listening to a lot lately. And the song is called in tenderness by citizens, citizens and saints or just citizens. I think they dropped the end saints part for some reason. I don't, I don't know why. Um, but there's, I guess the original version is a, is a fun song to play along with. Uh, I actually play it with my church and it's fast as actually 164 beats per minute. It's literally 60 notes yeah, yeah. the entire time. And it's, it's lots of fun. And so um, we actually played it at my church this last weekend. Um, and um, the drum parts is just like playing and just listening to it um, is fun. But then they came out with a live version of it this last, maybe a month or two ago. I think they did like a, um, live Facebook live performance, something like that. Um, and then they made an album out of, out of it. Um, but the song is nothing like the original with the fast drum beats and like awesome, like fist pumping and whatnot. Um, it's more like, I think it's, um, back in the early two thousands. Um, it starts off with like the Regina Spector type of thing. Um, the hide and seek song where she, it's like, it's, computerized or uh, digitized with her singing her voice with all the harmonies. 
Yeah. And so it has that. So it's mainly acapella with like a pad underneath it. Um, but then like the verse chorus, verse chorus happens. And then it goes into this, again, early 2000s cold play Dixie U type build. Yeah. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is like the most amazing thing ever. Cause I, obviously I like the song, but the way they transform the song into again, this early 2000s sound, which I kind of know it's my heyday with that type of music. Yeah. I'm growing up listening to it. Like it's just, it's awesome. And so I listened to it um, a lot recently. So that's something that's just impacted me just how music can transform, but then also the lyrics that are in it and everything are very impactful to me. How many episodes have you done so far now? It's like two. Is it two uh, last one was 265. Right. Okay. Wow. So good for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, I, think I, yeah. Mean, I think I mentioned last time we talked, like I may want to start my own podcast, um, but it's just, I don't know how you have time to do all of this. I don't have kids. So we'll start there. Okay. <laughs> true. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it's just awesome. Let's, um, I may listen to your podcast when I have long drives or when I'm doing yard work, sure. uh, because I remember you interviewed Alexis Lamb and she mentioned on there, like, she's really into doing yard work. And I'm like, I'm listening to this. I'm doing yard work right now. And so this is awesome. I feel more connected. Um, but every time that we do, or anytime I listen to your podcast and there's somebody I don't know or something that I do know, but not as well, I feel like we're just, I'm best friends with those people, even though I'm not the one interviewing them. Like I know so much about, about this person now, like Alexis Lamb is one of the composers for the, um, we're doing for PASIC as well. Awesome. And now I feel like I know her so much more through your podcast. Oh. So. Thanks so much. I, I really appreciate it. It is always great to catch up with Dr. Oliver Molina. We had a chance to catch up further at both PASIC and Midwest, and I wish him well as he continues on his career. And of course, please keep listening. So greatly appreciated to hear from him on his kind words about the show. Speaking of longish-running shows, this week's rave is an appreciation of the recently finished five-season run for the HBO series Insecure, created by and starring Issa Rae. As may be gleaned from what I rave about in this segment, my media watching is usually not focused on scripted television. Here and there, yes, but not that often. However, I've kept up with Insecure since it came onto my radar five plus years ago, and I'm thrilled to have stayed with it to its conclusion. The star and creator, Issa Rae, plays Issa D, a person working for the local education nonprofit in Los Angeles who goes through various career and personal ups and downs, as one does in their adulthood. The show also focuses on the lives of her friends and close love interests, including Molly, played by Yvonne Orji, Lawrence, played by Jay Ellis, Kelly, played by Natasha Rothwell, and Tiffany, played by Amanda Seals. The showrunner for the series was Prentice Penny, and the primary director was Melina Matsukis. While it's very typical for the main character's primary relationship to be about her love interests and partners, and yes, it did come up nearly all the time, the actual love relationship that was the core of the show was the friendship between Molly and Issa. 
The two of them were portrayed tremendously, and they accurately showed how close relationships between friends can vary, be great, break off, and return again for any number of important reasons. The show was also frequently very funny. While all of the characters had their moments to shine, particular shout-out needs to go to Natasha Rothwell's Kelly, who was always a welcome and hilarious addition to just about every scene she was in. As mentioned in some of the writing and documentary footage about the show, Natasha was brought on originally for behind-the-scenes stuff, like writing and directing, but became a breakout character through her hilarious one-liners, many of which she improvised. And while this may not mean as much coming from a white guy, that this was nearly all African-American cast and crew by design, it matters to state this outright because of its intentionality. Nearly everyone interviewed discussed how not only was this the first time the cast and crew were majority black, but also stressed that it was the best, safest, and most rewarding work environment they'd all been on. And that came from cast, directors, producers, directors of photography, grips, drivers, makeup, costume designers, hair, writers, script supervisors, casting directors, they all said it was quality and helped make the show what it was. Lastly, as mentioned in articles and documentary footage, this show was a love letter to Los Angeles. Issa Rae particularly wanted to give the same love to the Los Angeles she knew in the same way that Martin Scorsese, Woody Allen, and many others have given to New York City. And that definitely was apparent. If you have HBO and HBO Max, you can and definitely should stream the entire series of Insecure. You'll be thrilled you did. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can find every show at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes where all the show notes are also located. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at PetePerkPod at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time. Until then.